Welcome to the HR Resource Podcast. Ever applied for a job thinking, yeah, I think I stand a good chance of getting that. And then for some reason, hear nothing. Not a sausage, not an email, auto response, bot response, standard reply, nothing. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's annoying. But imagine if you're working in a specialist area. Imagine you're actually very qualified and you've taken a career break from a very good job. And then you've decided that you want to go back into that industry after the period in which you've taken. It might've been for childcare, it might've been for elderly care. It could have been for any reason. Let's say you've taken a year or two years off, maybe longer. Now think about that situation again and compound it by the fact that people are not interested for a myriad of reasons. You've got a gap in your CV. You've got problems that you cannot fix because that is a time period in which you were not in gainful employment as far as the recruiter and the employer were concerned. Well, this was a challenge that my guest on today's podcast had faced and seen and dealt with. And in so doing, decided that it was such a problem that it needed something of a more concerted effort to replenish the situation and give people hope. Natalie Desti is an extremely experienced recruitment consultant. She's run her own business, she's been a director, she's an award winner, and actually she has a doctorate as well for the work that she's been doing based upon getting individuals back into work. She specializes in an area known as STEM. They're interested in industry and sectors that are science, technology, engineering, and maths. Now imagine if you are in that industry and you happen to be female, of ethnic minority, or whatever reason, compounded again by all those factors we talked about with the career break. There is inequality in the workplace and there's inequality in the recruitment space as well. My guest talks to me today about an initiative that she's just launched and seen the results of called STEM Returners Index. This is a piece of work where we're looking to find out from 750 individuals who are in exactly that position, why they're struggling, what they're finding is difficult and what we need to put right. And Natalie Desti is the individual who is doing great work in putting people back into work. And she's gonna tell me all about it. Enjoy. HR Resource with David Lord and guests. They love talking about people, but in a good way. I am delighted to welcome to the HR Resource uh, podcast, Natalie Desti. Natalie uh, has been involved in a project which I became aware of quite recently, and I think you're going to find this really very interesting indeed. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Now, we've been chatting a little bit before we pressed record, and um, obviously there's, there's, there's a, a lot of things that we can cover, a lot of ground that we can cover. 
The main element of it will be some research that uh, was undertaken to identify some of the real issues that are faced by people in particular sectors trying to get back into work. Yeah. But our listeners are always very, very interested in the person as well that we're talking to. So I'd quite like to understand a little bit more about your career, uh, your background, how you, uh, how you arrived at this point of being involved in such, uh, such laudable work. Okay, so my background prior to starting STEM Returners, so we started STEM Returners in 2017, but my prior, uh, my background prior to that was as a director of a recruitment business. So I was always in recruitment. I was in, in that business for 12 years and I knew that there was an issue in people returning to work. It was something that I was, I was seeing, I was um, speaking to hiring managers about, and it was something that I was always really interested in, you know, why were, was there this barrier? I started doing a lot of work with Women's Engineering Society and because I was in Maritime, the Institute of Marine Science and Technology, and just started becoming more interested in, in, in that issue and, and those barriers. And then coincided with that, I had my um, first and only child, actually, Leo. So he um, he's five now. But because I was a director in a business, the idea of going back flexibly or part-time you know thankfully culture's really changed probably the only only benefit of covid but at that time you know the idea was that actually if you were managing people working four days a week or working flexibly was very difficult within the business that I that I was operating in and I realized this is one of the barriers so I thought whilst I was on maternity leave I'd write a business case and I'd, I'd create create a business that I would want to be involved in, which would be about bringing people back after a career break. So I knew there was an issue. I didn't know how that would, would land within industry. And it was something I was thinking about for, for a year. Um, I'm also people program chair of something called UK Nest. So that oversees the UK naval defense industry. Okay. And at that time we were looking at ways that we could bring people back. So there's a big skills gap within, well, within engineering in general, but particularly yeah. within naval. And there's also a, a real lack of diversity. So if you look at diversity within engineering, it's about eight to 10% female, 6% ethnic, ethnic minority candidates. It's even less than that in naval. So naval engineers um, are made up of about 5% women. So we were looking to create a pilot and I thought what a good opportunity to kind of pilot this idea that I've had about, about returning people. So we did a pilot. Uh, luckily, organisations like BA Systems and Babcock were the, the real kind of early adopters of that pilot, created it, it was really successful, and then STEM Returners kind of became a company in its own right, I left my job, I created this company, and uh, yeah, luckily, other organisations started seeing what we were doing, so, you know, moving on from that kind of BAE and Babcock community, and we still work with them today, but companies like SSE saw it and BT, and it kind of organically grew into, um, into an organisation. So something that started as a bit of an idea in a pilot, thankfully now, is a company. And uh, yeah, we've, we've now returned 186 um, engineers to various different wow. organisations. So That's impressive. That is really impressive. In, in sort of a slightly over two, three year period? Yeah, about two and a half, two and a half years. So we started, you know, initially, we actually in 2017, we started in October. So really, it's it's from kind of 2018 by the time returners started in those businesses. So, yeah, it's been um, it's been quite a journey. And what's been really interesting is when COVID hit, um, you know, like probably many business owners, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, how is this going to affect us and how is it going to affect recruitment? 
and we're busier than ever and we've been busier than ever throughout the whole um kind of COVID period so we've been really thankful and, and lucky that actually uh, the momentum was there and it's kind of taken us through and continued you know businesses have really continued investing in diversity and uh, and returning returners yeah I mean that's that's really interesting you hear a lot of variation in how people have been affected by by COVID yeah. and um it's good to hear that there are businesses that are that are doing particularly well and finding a way to uh, to grow their businesses through it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, and, and I think for those individuals that are perhaps, is do you think it's a fallout from people who've been made redundant and are looking to get back into to the game again quite quickly? Yeah, it's really changed the returner kind of pool, if you like, because returners by nature, they've tried really hard to return in the past. So our longest um, returner uh, had to, had a career break for 17 years, um, but a lot of people are, are kind of around the two year period uh, in terms of career breaks, but we don't set any kind of rules. So if you're struggling through standard channels and you're out of work, you're a returner. And yeah. um, so obviously the people affected by COVID also come into that, into that returner community because obviously there are a huge amount of redundancies particularly from certain sectors like oil and gas is, is a good example. So one other thing that we, I guess, we do within, within this business is, is transfer skills. So, you know, for example, we do a lot of work with Maritime. We might be looking for a mechanical design engineer. We would be looking to transfer somebody's mechanical design experience from designing aerospace or automotive and we'd be looking to bring that to shipbuilding so you know as, as well as returning people you're you're transferring them so those oil and gas candidates you know with with, with lesser opportunities we're looking to transfer and transfer those into other sectors and you're perfectly placed ge geographically aren't you you were down in southampton i understand down in southampton yeah so it's been it's been great for our kind of um maritime routes but we We've, we've pretty much covered um, most counties now in, in terms of programmes. So, and we do, we do loads in Scotland and yep. um, a little bit in Ireland. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much become UK wide. And last year I actually found a partner to launch um, at Stem Returners Australia as well. So uh, I saw that on your website. I was going to think that's really an yeah. interesting sort of like, we you know, to start, okay, we'll, we'll have a little sort of venture into, into France or, or, or maybe just, yeah. to, you know, a bit further. No, let's go to Australia. <laughs> let's go to Australia, other side of the world. Yeah. So luckily I, I knew someone in Australia um, and we get asked by, by clients all the time in America, actually, like, when are you going to do this in America? You know, just, this is so needed. So it's, it's I, I find it really interesting how there are just so little of, you know, so, so little of this going on because returners are, so, you know, it's a really big community of people yeah. and they literally, you know, genuinely, they have no chance through standard channels. You know, they've tried really, really hard to return and then they've just gone off and, and, and they're doing something else because they think actually STEM's not interested in me. We're going to get into some of the specifics of the reasons why that is the case and why people are struggling, which I think the, the listeners are going to find fascinating um but but before we do that um one of the things that i think would be helpful because i don't want to make try try not to i'm, I'm often the nugget in the room that asks the really basic questions so uh, on the, on behalf of people who may not fully understand the area or the, the sectors in which you work on could you explain stem stem yeah so stem stands for science technology engineering and maths so interestingly a big part of what we do is actually engineering and I think 
one of those key reasons that engineering have really picked it up is because there are such advanced skills gaps within engineering. So it's it's one of the, the biggest areas. My dog. That's Sorry. right. <laughs> she's a puppy. So uh, she's is that the puppy that pointer. Long. Is it the puppy? Puppy pointer. Puppy oh. pointer, yeah. So she's 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 quite naughty. Um yeah, so so engineering actually is one of the, the biggest areas that have taken it up. We, we we do quite a lot in science as well. Technology, again, is a very big one. Technology returners really, really struggle. So if you think of your average software engineer, uh, there's a big misconception about how people's skills deteriorate. And because obviously software and IT moves quite quickly, people within the IT space struggle even more than, than other areas. And then maths kind of comes in um, across a number of our different programmes, really. So things like economists and obviously yeah. a lot of engineers and People have uh, have maths degrees um, prior to, to engineering, and then another big thing, um, which I, you know, which kind of I never understand the the issue is we have a load of PhD candidates. So people who have done a PhD, presumably thinking, well, this is you know really going to elevate my career, really really struggle because they're not eligible for graduate roles because they're they're over experienced, and then they're not eligible for kind of direct level uh, level entry engineering roles because they're viewed as too research based so you know and, and we'll, we'll we'll cover this later but there are just so many different types of people that are struggling through these kind of standard standard channels it's crazy and it, it's great to shine a light on that i mean i remember going to an event i did um when i was working for a law firm i did a lot of work on the academy or academization of schools and at one event i heard um kenneth baker uh, politician talking about um, an introduction of uh, new schools that were going to be uh, sweeping the country. I'm not sure where we are with that particular project, if it happened. Um, but I do remember uh, him at that time, and this is going back a few years, talking about the statistics about the lack of engineers, qualified engineers, and the need that this, this country is going to have for people with those particular skills, technical science and, and engineering mm -hmm. skills. And we're still talking about it. And right. You know, the, 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 when you look at the statistics about how many people are actually female or of, of ethnic origin who are not able to get into the work, but for some reason we've got the gap, it's a sort of perfect opportunity to say, well, hang on a second, knock a few heads together and uh, I don't know, I'm oversimplifying massively now. But, but that's literally what you're doing is you're finding a way to translate the opportunity for these people into a reality, which uh, which is fabulous. So, uh, what what with a lot of the podcasts that we do, uh, there is we we've had a conversation about this. The, there is um, a style. Some people might might be having a quick listen to this and say, "Right, I'll get back to that a bit later." I would like you, Natalie, just to give us a, a, a quick um, opportunity to find out how we can find out about you, your contact details, and a bit more about STEM returners. Excellent. So yes, I'm Natalie Desti. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. The uh, website is www.stemreturners.com. There's lots of blogs on there and um, and some kind of press as well to give you a good overview of the programme. Full of really good content. I've, I've had a good look at it. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that, and, and that is definitely worth a look if you are in um, one of those industries and or as an employer um, and equally if you're looking for that return to work. Now, in an effort to raise awareness of, and I'm sure to better understand the situation, you recently undertook um, 
a, a survey called the STEM Returners Index. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand, I believe that was the first, the first one of its kind. It's going to be an annual event. Yes, yeah, it's going to be annual. It was important to us to understand firsthand what those barriers were, you know, and the best way we can do that, we know there's a problem and, uh, and we'll keep, you know, telling industry that there's a problem, but the best way for us to really understand it was to talk to returners and see what experience they were having. So, yes, you, we're going to do that every year, hopefully to be able to track improvements. And you managed to um, have conversations with 750 um, people who were, and this is, this is, these are the, the returners, these are the, yes. the individuals that are taking a career break or, or out of out of work, looking to return into a STEM related role. Um, how did you find those 750? What was? So because we've obviously run a number of programs, we've got a lot of returners that we're talking to that are registered that are looking for programs. So really, it was people that we'd either worked with before or who were looking for programs. In fact, we've got about four and a half thousand um, wow. returners that are actually that, that are looking. And I, I don't think that's probably reflective of the returner community. I went to a conference actually, it's one of the reasons I started STEM Returners in 2014, and that was Women's Engineering Society who said that there were 20,000 women that had left engineering and were looking to potentially return. And then another fun fun stat, do you like a stat, is that 40% um, of 40 year old women fall off professional registration. So there's a there's a huge community of people. And, you know, the reason that they're, they're, they're probably um, falling off professional registration is that they're on the career break. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a huge community. But, yeah, we've got four and a half thousand people who are who are now looking for a, a return to, to the sector. And in undertaking this work now, obviously, what's, there's a sort of the, the element that nobody can overlook is COVID. So I would imagine there's there's a, a skewing of a certain amount of, of the responses that are going to be impacted by that. It's going to be really interesting to see now, starting when COVID hit, how we recover from that or how that, how that sort of looks next year and the following year. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, you, you know, that returner landscape has really changed, you know, because obviously of, of, of redundancy. So, you know, we'll probably talk about it, but the key reasons people take... Um, a career break you know they're quite varied but obviously redundancy has had a big spike in in terms of a, a reason for a career break so yeah and there's this this whole idea this concept i mean i've been in a situation where i'm recruiting and, and hiring people in and i'll look at a cv and i'll have i'll have made decisions um but there is a perception obviously that if somebody is coming back after a break be it you know a year two years five years 17 years in one particular case hmm that that person has no longer attained the level of ability than they had previously. They've, they've lost the skills, they've lost the, the, I suppose, cognitive ability to be able to undertake that type of work. So they're written off, you know, is that from an employee, how do you persuade an employer that that's just not the case? What is the, what is the compelling argument that says, actually think, think again? Yeah, I mean, you know, I all of those returners that we've returned, and as I said, various different um, lengths of career break, they, they prove it themselves, essentially. We're asking hiring managers to take an opportunity, to do, give an opportunity to somebody who's currently being filtered out through your, through your standard um, recruitment channels. And the returners prove it for themselves. So they go on a 12-week placement. Uh, that's a, a paid placement. Um, 12 weeks to increase their confidence and competence yeah. and also 12 weeks for the hiring manager to have have the 
I guess, allay any fears and then be in a position to offer them a permanent position. So of all the returners, of all those 186 returners, 96% of those have gone permanent with the host company. So, you know, we don't have to do a lot. They that says a lot. Know. That speaks loud and clear, doesn't it? That, that Absolutely. Actually... And, you know, before I started this company, it was my probably my biggest concern. I, I, I didn't know what um, level of success, you know, the, the programme would have. But, you know, when employers realise that actually 96, 96, yeah, it's actually 97, 97% of, of everybody gets a permanent job, you know, I think, why would they not? Because these are roles that they're struggling on. Yeah. It's not just roles that they're struggling on, it's roles that they're having absolutely no diversity in their shortlists, you know, and I mentioned the, the diversity of, of returners, um, 51% are female, 38% are from ethnic minority backgrounds. So compare that to 8% in industry for, for women, 6% for ethnic, ethnic um, minority candidates. You know, again, the diversity of these candidates, I think, is, is yeah. a no-brainer for organisations. Um, but, you know, I don't think the problems with hiring managers. And, and we had a, a really interesting uh, case study in, our, in the first programme that we ever ran. So we were working with uh, one of our partner companies and they were looking for a naval architect so really quite niche specialist skill, quite quite hard to find. And we were working with a, a single mum. She'd taken a five year career break and she'd applied to this particular organisation three on three separate occasions. Three occasions? Three different times. These three separate jobs or? Three separate, they, oh, yeah, okay. three separate naval architect jobs that had come up at, at different points over a six, six, nine month period. And I spoke to her and said, oh, you're, you know, you're really suitable for, for this one. She said, I can't apply. I've applied there three times. And she said, you know, number one, I'm going to look like a stalker. And number two, they're just not interested in my skills. So I was like, this is weird because, you know, her skills were really good. And yes, she'd had a, a five year career break. Anyway, so I thought, well, it's strange. So I phoned the hiring manager and said, weird one, I've got a really good candidate. Um, however, I think you've seen her before and, and she's been rejected. So sent over the CV. He called me straight back and he said, Natalie, I've never seen this lady's CV. And if I had, I'd have I'd have interviewed her so what had happened and, and and it was a really good lesson early on is actually she'd been filtered out each time and I you know and that was by agencies so that hiring manager uh -huh. I thought held the held that unconscious bias and was rejecting her but she because she'd had a career break never even seen it you know and I think that's that's the really interesting thing it, it there is unconscious bias out there definitely but the issue that you've got is when you're working um you know say and obviously I've got an agency background I know how that works you're sending your best three candidates or you know your your, your top your top three the person with the career break in comparison to the people without they're the ones that get filtered out yeah. so it's 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 more you know we're providing a bridge directly between the hiring manager and the returner and just removing those barriers that mean that they never they never get seen in the first place because they'll perceive it as a risk and they don't really see beyond that yeah, they don't. That, that that gap that a gap in the timeline that says that screams to them that's a risk we're not going to look good in front of our clients so therefore we're not going to put that particular we're not going to put them forward because i've got you know I, i've got to send three candidates and i've got three here without a career break so yeah the one with the career break um off, off they go and, you know, most of the time, candidates don't even, these returners, they don't even get a response. You know, so it's not, it's not even that they're being rejected. They just, they don't hear back. They're just throwing their CVs into a black hole. And that's why they go away and, uh, and stop looking um, completely. So we, we have to work really hard to find them. Because they've, they've left. 
this filtering, I, I, I wanted to sort of dive into this a little bit, the filtering of the agencies in these particular circumstances. Um, I've been aware in the periphery of a couple of projects uh, with on the recruitment side where there's an increasing use of AI. Mm -hmm. the volume you know the sheer volume of people that are just throwing anything down as an application on indeed yeah. or read or whichever the platform they use there are plenty of others that are available um so which systems are used i mean ultimately the my always feeling about this is, is, a, is a going back to my really old sort of computer um uh, education with my business studies course where we talked about garbage in and garbage out you know uh, yeah. if an algorithm is going to be is going to be put in place and programmed what are you actually going to be training it to do is it going to be that intelligent or are you actually going to tell it that it, it should look for gaps in in the grids if, if that's happening then there is a wider problem isn't there and it goes beyond the um this the sense of somebody looking at it and their the personal bias they've actually applied that bias to, to a system or to a process am i am i dreaming this up is this like total recall gone nuts or am i am i am i do you so, think it definitely happens because if you think of you know think of an average design um software you know autocad for example so in a job spec um people or, or uh, ai will be looking for a particular software or particular package or somebody on a career break you know who's been out for five years possibly right. used the package before so you know those people would be filtered out so I think they definitely happens and majority of roles also ask for recent experience um and you know again that completely knocks somebody out with a career break doesn't it and this whole unconscious bias um I mean I I've I'm not going to go into detail for obvious reasons but I have been aware of circumstances where people have been filtered out for, you know, their name looking mm -hmm. though it's somebody that might not be from this country, God forbid, you know, I mean, as simple as that, which is, is just just so wrong. But I have, I've been aware of those situations. And mm -hmm. to me, um, that's, that, that seemed very obvious, but for other people that they, they might not even know they're doing it, you know, that, that, that are not making those decisions based on, um, other reasons they might justify a particular exclusion for all sorts of other what might seem plausible um, justifications rather than actually the fact is you think that they might not have I mean isn't there a statistic you uh, something about the um, number of the, the engineering sector so many percent not over 90 percent is is male and over 90 percent is white yeah 94 percent male and 90 92 percent male 94 percent white i mean which which is which is which is crazy particularly from uh, minority ethnic candidates because 28 percent of engineering graduates are from ethnic minority backgrounds yeah. yet six percent work in the industry where do they go yeah. you know it's um and you know on the graduate we do we do quite a lot of we don't do graduate programs as such but direct entry graduates so you know we would work with um 2020 graduates who didn't get a job um actually they've got no chance against 2021 graduates because their experience isn't as recent is it you know, so just, why didn't you get a job in 2021 absolutely absolutely that there's a lot of bias with 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 those candidates and you know they've they've got their degree but they're working for uber or they're working in pizza heart they're completely out of the industry you know thinking that they don't have any way back so we work with those types of graduates you know and it's just really interesting percentage wise you know those people who didn't get a role um often often they're female 
often they are ethnic minority candidates um, or they don't perform well in assessment centres, you know, so for example, have a neurodiverse brain set. And actually these assessment centres, again, are so biased, you know, set right. up for, you know, let's find our, our future leader. Well, right. actually not everybody fits into that category and not everybody, not every organisation wants everybody to be a future leader. Right. Um, you know, so so that's, there's another problem there with uh, with graduates. So we find so many graduates that have fallen through, through that, those kind of graduate assessment centre cracks, so... I didn't actually go to university, but I went to an assessment centre where I was facing a number of graduates, and it was mm -hmm. for a major UK bank, who I won't mention, won't name. And um, it was back in the day when there seemed to be plenty of jobs around, and I, uh, and I, I ended up being offered three roles, which was just incredible. Well, Lack of academic capability, <laughs> you know, I got there somehow. Um, maybe it was just the gift of the gab. But I, uh, I, on this particular case, that was the was the truth because I sat in a an assessment where I was given I was given a booklet of questions um, that ranged in I was like an intelligence test I think basically but it was it was like a maths test my my living nightmare of a thing to have to do anyway I worked my way through it I got to a point where I thought well, this is just burning my brain now so I wrote I can't do anymore and actually the person who was running the course read it out to everybody everybody in the assessment and who said this I had to put my hand up and everybody laughed and I thought that's me finished I'm now you're out that's it you're done I went into to the next stage was an interview with the um, HR manager and uh, we talked about we didn't talk about we, we might have right, just touched on that assessment part of it but then we had a conversation about caravanning my parents had been taking me caravanning since I was about 10 for about 10 years so we were just you know, that we just talked about that all around the area of Gloucestershire where I was then. I got offered a place. I got oh, offered a place. That, that and now when I'm reflecting back... Right off, David. Sorry? That would have put me right off. I'm definitely not a cancer. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, think, I think the point there is you made a connection with somebody yeah. and they saw something that they reflected with mm -hmm. and they, they it, it was like, whether this guy's right for the role or not, I quite like him. Yeah. And, I, and, he, and he does things that I, I do and, and I can have a conversation with him. So, right, okay. Now, there, was, there might have been more to it than that, but, but that's, they, they are conversations. They are things that happen in the real world, aren't they? They are the way people get recruited. Hmm? That's interesting because, you know, I guess that comes into things like affinity bias, you know, and how actually if you like somebody and you think, oh, they'll be a really good team fit and you're recruiting in your own image, yeah. Is that, you know, that can also be a real problem. You know, great, great for you in that instance. You know, but imagine... I take the job, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, imagine imagine another candidate who actually was 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 very different. You know, yeah. so, so those types of biases, I think, also play a really big factor because, you know, biases are natural, aren't they? And I think, you know, unconscious bias, yeah, every, everybody, has, everybody has it, but it's recognising those biases and the value that different ideas, different people bring to a team, yes. rather than somebody who actually, um, you know, you know you've, you've got, got that relationship with or, or got something in common with because they like um, caravanning. Yeah, quite. <laughs> How to dull people at parties and all that. You know, that's, that's a real skill. Um, the, but moving on beyond that, if you've, if you've focused in on somebody, because even, on, even having not met them, but you've read the CV and you've seen something that stood out and you think, actually, that's a really good attribute. I really mm -hmm. like that. You, you then start to build um, a, a, a story, a narrative that actually sells that candidate to other people who might be in that decision-making process because you feel that's the right person for the job. And you overlook 
the things that are equal, should have equal weight to that job as to you know the way they've dealt with people the way they've dealt with certain technologies the way they've you know projects they've completed because you've you've seen something in them that that you've particularly and that they become your winner your champion mm. and that i've seen that happen as well where where people overlook shortcomings mm -hmm. because they've seen one thing they think is a uh, a thing to take forward yeah so we we've got an i mean I, I, in the background to this i was doing some um research and I'm, I'm going to be the one that actually looks at something here but it's quite scary the number of different ways in which we can block people from jobs there's a thing called confirmation bias um you only make uh, information that confirms your beliefs or ignore everything else i think it's just just what i've been talking about there the affinity bias which uh, mm -hmm. you talked about um where have we got there uh similarity bias caravanning yeah. uh, projection bias um, share the same goals that people have follow the same beliefs that you do um, the halo effect where you think the person is good they're good at a but also and i think that touches on the thing i was just talking about there the halo effect being one thing being good means that they're going to be good at everything which yeah. is very much not the case and the pitchfork effect pitchfork effect um which tells you this actually comes from the us this particular blog the opposite of the halo effect where you seem here something negative and then you assume that they're going to be rubbish in everything so yeah. it's, it turns that around. Status quo bias, I don't think that's got anything to do with a rock band. Uh, Nonverbal bias, effective uh, expectation anchor. You're convinced that an earlier candidate was best for your job, so you don't take into consideration any later candidates. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one in naval areas, having an anchor bias. Um, so I, I, just, I just think it's many and varied. Yeah. And employers, and it sounds to me like agencies, need to, ha need to have some training. They need mm -hmm. to be made aware that this is going on. Yeah, you know, like I said, bias is completely natural, but it's, it's making sure that you kind of you kind of check, you know, check that. And I think, you know, the key thing for, for the returners or the key problem is that they don't even get to this stage. You know, they don't even, they're, they're generally, they're biased against because they've had a career break, but they don't, you know, that, that kind of bias we're talking about, a lot of that is an interview. You know, these candidates don't even get there. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's an even bigger issue for... Yeah. Actually for getting, in, getting your foot through the door. Which getting is, in the which room. Is, yeah. yeah so what did, what did that survey, what are the key takeaways from the survey for you? So I think the most interesting thing really is there's a big push, a very necessary push on D&I, you know, particularly within engineering. Um, you know, and I think representation of women and ethnic minority candidates probably need some work in a lot of sectors, but, but certainly within engineering, you know, and I think it's so interesting that there is this group of people out there that are 51% female um, and 34% minority ethnic um, candidates who are getting completely overlooked. I mean, that is just crazy, isn't oh. it? You know, when, when we've got a, 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 real, a real diversity issue. Um, we found that 12% of people take a career break through through choice so you know looking to travel the world or, or something something as exciting you know most it's life you know and actually yeah. career breaks should be a normal part of life you know big one obviously is maternity but I think I think the term caring actually sums it up better because it's not just childcare; it's also elderly care sick relatives very increasingly true yes absolutely yeah. redundancy big one obviously impacted by covid health so 19% of our returners have taken a career break uh, for health reasons, you know, physical health, mental health, and also um, relocating their, their skills 
So we work, you know, and it's a big portion of these ethnic minority candidates who relocate to the UK have really great experience, but they've got it internationally, you know, and there's a real bias around all, oh, but you haven't done that in the UK. We're talking about a software engineer who's used the same software yeah. in another country. We're talking about a bridge engineer who's built a bridge in another country. That's Universal languages and bridges. <laughs> don't, they, exactly. don't they do the same thing? <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, but find it absolutely impossible because they can't demonstrate that UK experience, you know, and and that's just it's such a a set bias that we come with. Xenophobia, isn't it? It's, it's, well, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's so wrong. And, and then yeah. they are excluding themselves from getting the, a richer variety of candidates that could be doing such a, a, a much better job, I would have thought. I mean, it's very the very least, you know, they're, they're fishing from a very small pool. Very small and um, you know, and that's why no no diversity is coming through the shortlists because you know I worked with an organisation um, a little while ago, really big player in renewable energy, who get so many applications for all the jobs. They didn't need this for recruitment at all. Their concern was that they 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 get the pick of the bunch, and yeah. everybody wants to work there. So what they're getting is the same type of candidate from their competitors who are fantastic candidates, but they're getting absolutely no diversity. So a lot of organizations we work with are really struggling to recruit, you know, niche software engineers, for example. You know, this organization was, we need some diversity and we need to start seeing different candidates because all we're attracting is the same people, the same people as who work here, the same people, yeah. you know, the same people as the managers. And I think, you know, I think that's that's really important. Um, most most companies embark on this because there's a, a skills gap and they're trying to attract a different pool of talent. But actually, you know, bringing those diverse thoughts, opinions and experience in is just so vital. And I think, you know, lots of good stuff is happening around DNI, and um, you know, particularly with within engineering. But, um, you know, actually, you know, seeing that in practice within people's teams, you know, I think, I think another important thing is the change of culture. So when people do bring returners in and people with different experiences, you know, hiring managers who might have been, you know, a bit reluctant or a bit of a, oh, what's this new initiative? You know, what, what, are we do, what are we doing now? Actually see the, the benefit and the value of bringing people in with, with different skills. Because, you know, on a career break, people learn lots of different skills, you know, caring, maternity, whatever the career break is, bringing their, their skills and experience from other countries. You know, and, and now culturally, it's it's starting to change those organisations who really see the benefit and the value. And you would imagine, you know, that returners programmes won't be necessary in the future because actually it, it, it won't be seen as a barrier because you're changing hearts and minds of those hiring managers that have seen for themselves the value that it brings. Yeah, your ultimate goal is to make yourself redundant. I know, that's not great. <laughs> but you move it well, no, you're successful at that. You'll be going on to the much bigger, greater things. I'm, I'm absolutely... <laughs> or I'm looking for a job. <laughs> no, no, I think uh, I think what you're doing is is fabulous. And unfortunately, I think there's, there's enough work to be going at to keep you busy for quite a time yet. I think I mean, one of the things that you touched on there, which is the skills that people gain when, they, when they're on a break, Although I was what you might consider to be the, you know, the, in the traditional unit of the family where my wife actually stopped working to be able to bring up our three children. Um, and very grateful I own it. Now she's the one, the high flyer running a ballet school and 120 pupils and showing everybody, showing the world what she's capable of, but nobody would give her a job. Um, and it's that, that, that's just a case in point. And from my point of view, in work, 
even though I didn't take the career break, the number of times that I drew on my, the things that you, you know, we don't have the manual. I know there's self-help books out there, but as a, as a parent, Natalie, you don't, you don't, you don't know immediately what to do, do you? When, when there's a challenge faced you by a child, you just have, you have to use an instinct, you'd learn. But the things that you learn as a parent, I have to tell you, the number of times I applied that at work, is quite scary. Yeah, <laughs> Especially when you get disputes or you get problems or you're trying to calm a situation down. Mm. Like, you know, okay, we didn't always use the naughty step. Um, <laughs> but the reality, in, in figuratively speaking, you do, because sometimes people need to chill out. They just need mm -hmm. to find a different room or find a different place. And parenting skills actually are very, very useful in the workplace mm -hmm. because you Absolutely. do learn to mediate, you do learn to um, communicate in a different way, in a different style, you learn patience. And uh, from my point of view, who's considered uh, by my wife to be somebody who's not very good at this, you do actually learn to multitask. Yeah. So there are things that you can do with that. So, and is, as from the, from the survey's perspective, you are you going to be keeping to the same broad questions going forward? Is it going to adapt or is it, are you going to have a core of similar questions and... Yeah, we'll try and keep we'll try and keep to the same ones. So I think that's important to show yeah. the change, you know, hopefully the positive change um, in industry. I mean, looking at, at some of the others, um, so obviously we've talked about female and, and how they're disproportionately affected by childcare. So 51% of women said that um, they were struggling to return due to childcare, lack of flexibility. 10% of men said the same. So, you know, women, I think, are always going to, feel the brunt of um, childcare and caring, or well, certainly, hopefully not always, but certainly currently feel the brunt of that. Um, and women, weirdly, are 76% more likely to never receive feedback on their applications. You know, so it, I mean, why? It's, it's, yeah. it's really, really interesting. Returners over 45 never receive feedback. You know, so, there's, so there's an ageist thing going on in this unconscious bias. And 36% of returners felt that they had experienced direct bias so when when somebody had um when they'd interviewed or they'd um put a, put an application in 36 percent felt that they had been biased against and the key reason for that was things like asking for flexibility so oh, I've, I've i've ruined my chance because i've said i can only work a four day week or i've ruined my chance because i need to do the school run and yeah. you know we we have a lot of women um who've managed to return but at a much lesser capacity so we recently placed a project engineer and she was used to be a project engineer Then she had children and she needed to do the school run. So she had returned to engineering in administration and she was very grateful for that, you know, but actually we we've put her back to being a project engineer. So Brilliant. it's not always about people who haven't returned. It's people who are working below their capability just because they dare to request flexible hours. So, you know, that's, that's quite a big part of it as well. And isn't there also, um, I think I picked up from, I'm not sure whether it was the research or, or um, another, one of the blogs I may have, have read on your website, but it's the impact of going back into the workplace. Those that are successful and they have managed to get a job mm -hmm. and then finding that there's bias towards them in the workplace because of maybe they, they have got flexibility that they, they or there is a flexibility and uh, issue to, to what they have to do. I mean, surely by now we've, we've all learned that, but, you know, no doubt, yeah, no doubt people will want to fall back into old, old habits and some of them might not be good habits, but, but the confidence that they might lack because 
of being out of work for some time and coming back into work. You know, the onboarding process is, is maybe lacking and left them in a situation where they just felt not up to the job. I mean, have you encountered some of that as well? So it's, I don't, did, how far does your scheme run in terms of bringing them into the workplace? Do you continue to work with them on a mentoring basis or supportive? Yeah, so um, it's quite a lot of questions there, David. So let me, let me start at question one. Um, I did ramble on. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, so I was really interested in the experience that returners have had when they returned. And like you say, this kind of level of resentment. And the experience I've had of it have mainly been from kind of um, hiring managers of like, oh, well, I haven't had the opportunity to have a career break. You know, I, I've worked 30, 30 yeah. years without a career break. So, you know, why, why should why should they get special treatment? You know, well, actually, you know, as, as I explained before, you know, only 12% of people have actually decided to take a career break. Not that that's a bad thing either. You know, it, it should it should be somebody's choice if if they were, you know, if they've worked 25 years and decide to take a year off. Um, so I was really surprised by that level of, of resentment. And, um, you know, I think it's this idea. All we're trying to do is give people an equal opportunity um, for them to get seen in the first place. But but it's it's a different scheme, because if you if you compare a returner to a non-returner through standard recruitment channels these are the people they get filtered out you know yeah. that's what we're trying to stop so it is a kind of it is a standalone scheme and I think that could be some level of resentment like oh you know so so basically it was easier for you to get into this organization than than me um almost like positive discrimination yeah almost like positive discrimination and and it just isn't you know, all, all we're doing, all, all it's doing is removing those barriers that mean that these candidates don't get seen. The 12 week programme, you know, they're all there on their own merits and, and their own capability because, you know, that's that's the point of their 12 weeks. The hiring manager isn't obligated to to hire them after that point. You know, they get they, they get that on their own merits. Um, now, because I've answered your first one, I've forgotten the second question. What was the second? It's about the confidence. Oh, oh the confidence piece. So because returners have tried really really hard and literally applied for on occasion hundreds of vacancies and not been successful it really impacts their confidence as yeah. as you can imagine and yeah. um, so they are low confidence um, they took themselves out of applying for positions because they don't don't think they're suitable and that they will even talk themselves out of applying for a returner's position you know even though it's specifically geared up for them because their confidence is so low yeah. so we work with them prior to starting the program on confidence, you know, from a, a coaching capacity. They also get a mentor through Women's Engineering Society. And we just, we're just on hand throughout that 12 week period. So that if they do have any questions or they are feeling at low confidence on something, because, you know, it can feel a bit like a 12 week interview. It kind of is a, bit of a 12 week interview. Actually, you know, being able to come to ask and ask any questions that they wouldn't feel comfortable maybe raising. And, um, you know, but genuinely we find two weeks in, they're just like everybody else. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to pick out your returner from your person who had come from a competitor. They're kind of right back right back to where they were. It's the it's the thought and the anticipation of am I going to be able to do this because I have been rejected so many times, um, versus actually when they're there, it's a bit like that old adage of riding a bike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the um, case studies that I think uh, I, I picked up on was. Um, which sure it's the same lady that you were talking about, but somebody that had gone back into a naval role and has won awards and has sort of been a awards. Sh I know. shining light that, that's, that's, I mean, that was within, 
a very short spell of, of getting back into the, the place of work and really proved her place, but she was lacking an awful lot of that confidence initially. Yeah. And just and didn't feel that she was an imposter syndrome. I shouldn't really be here. That's it, imposter syndrome, that's it. You know, it, and those awards that she had won, she had won those against everybody. It wasn't like it was a returner award that, that she'd, she'd won. She'd, she'd, she'd done it on her own merits, but she was incredibly low confidence before she started. You know, and I think some of that, and I think I think it's a female thing as well, David, if I'm honest, you know, in terms of um, that imposter syndrome. Um, yeah, and she struggled with it for quite a long time, you know, and actually now, you know, you, re you really see the difference in her. She's been promoted, you know, and she's believing in her capability again. But it, it can take a long time, you know, when you've been knocked so many times, um, it can take a long time to kind of get that, that confidence back. So, but yeah, she, I mean, she's such a perfect example of exactly why we do this programme. I've, I've been really fortunate to work with some people that have been quite inspirational. And actually, I pointed to part of my lockdown. I managed to track down my first boss in a marketing role, um, Jackie Elliott. And he's still living just outside Stamford, Lincolnshire. And um, I wasn't really stalking her. I used the alumni at Thomas Cook to find her. Um, had a bit of stalking. And uh, we had a really nice chat and catch up. And she was really embarrassed when I said she was the best boss I'd ever had. Really? I think I think that's you know I mean it's nice you don't really want an arrogant response but but you know it was like no surely not no you know not me no 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 but but there's a lot of talent she went on to be um, a very successful teacher as well and I'm not surprised at that and just only today I was um, finding one of my daughter's friends is working for a company that I think you might have some connection with or of works with I don't know if you come across a company called Analogs. Um, who produce gas sensing equipment for submariners and uh, and in the space industry as well? They're oh, up in the no. well. They're a company that you should you should you should have a look at. There's a, a young lady that I've I've worked with over a number of years. Watch um, with young lady. We started working together. Uh, Vicky Vicky Brown and um, she was in the marketing department. She headed up the marketing team, and now she's the managing director of analogs and it's fabulous to see yeah. a woman and, and she always impressed me she never never failed to impress me in the meetings that we had she was organized she was considered she would listen she wouldn't be the loudest person in a meeting mm. but she had a finger on the pulse and i'm not surprised to see her get to the very top of that organization um certainly somebody you should you should check out because i think she's and she's encouraging now that uh, my friend uh, my, my daughter's friend catherine who's um working for her now is again she's incredibly bright and I think she's very lucky because mm -hmm. she's got herself into a job now working in an organization where in a marketing role one where the managing director actually is a marketer which is quite mm -hmm. surprising and unusual yeah. but a woman yeah and that is to me that's that's brilliant you know I think I think that's there needs to be more of that and there needs to be uh, that needs to be encouraged because it, we're talking about it because it's rare yeah <laughs> you know? no. we shouldn't really be talking about it we should be like oh yeah you know that. yeah but it's uh, it, it, to me, it was like a real um, signal of what mm. should be done. Um, mm -hmm. um, is there, in terms of raising awareness within the industry, I think we, we might have had a quick chat around that before. Is there, and now the survey's out, and you, you're doing a sort of press round and talking to uh, people like me on podcasts about this sort of thing. What, what else do you think um, will now be following on for STEM returners and, and getting into employers and the recruitment industry to raise awareness of what you're doing? I mean, all we're really asking people to do is to be aware of their own unconscious bias, be aware of the research, be aware that there are a large group of people who are currently locked out of their, their standard channels. 
We're asking recruiters to include returners in your shortlists to tackle unconscious bias. We're asking uh, recruiters to talk to companies about their what they're doing in DNI and their their DNI strategies and, and initiatives, and really just stop overlooking um, really highly skilled, highly qualified candidates. You know, I mentioned PhD candidates before. You know, why are they why are they struggling to get a job? Um, you know, just to be aware of it and to include those people in in shortlists and just give them this equal opportunity. Really, I mean, you know, running a running a program. Um, as I said, you know, it, it should be something that is is not needed in the future because actually, you know, the barriers that are there can be taken down um, really quite easily with people just reaching out to to returners and um, and in, including those in those you know including them in those shortlists. And, and it's sort of the awareness of sort of this the bias that awareness of bias the multi-leveled yeah. areas of bias and may, maybe maybe a training course maybe you know i know that there are some um studies of of, of employees leaders of organizations who've been at pains to get their employees uh, certainly in hiring situations to be aware of the decisions that they're making and to be far more aware of what you're really trying to do is employ the best person for the job you're not trying to you know recruit a mate uh, or somebody that for whatever reason you feel is, is suitable, other than the fact that they've got the, the, the key attributes that are required, and maybe thinking about outside the box as well. Uh, yeah. To bring in some diversity, to bring in some, some, some difference into the organisation. And what about the actual returners themselves? What, what, what's the next step for STEM returners and raising awareness with, with individuals in, in the industry? So hopefully we'll continue running... Um, programs so we've we as I said we've returned 186 people so we really want to kind of build and grow on that and, and work with different organizations we've been really lucky to work with some really great forward-thinking progressive big companies you know I've mentioned Babcock, BAE, SC, BT we really want to kind of make sure that SMEs are looking at, at, at these groups of, of individuals as well. Um, we've, we've actually worked with two really exciting startups as well. And that that was really great, you know, but a new dynamic, you know, actually thinking about bringing in um, diverse talent right, you know, right from the kind of outset to set the culture of, of these organisations. Um, so, yeah, I think we want to do more with the SME market, obviously keep working um, with our with our partners that, that we're working with now and just kind of broaden out really throughout throughout engineering because you know these returner programs are few and far between in the industry it's it's really there might be a couple of other examples but it's really only us that are kind of you know working within this returner space and you know there's just there's just so many candidates out there and there's so many jobs that need filling and there's no diversity I just I can't work out how it's such a struggle um, you know just to open open the opportunities and I think one of the one of the key things apart from removing that bias is really thinking about your adverts you know yeah. people put they don't put they don't put adverts out they put a job spec out yeah. you know and obviously somebody's low confidence and there's massive great big technical tick list they're not going to apply you know they're going to talk themselves out so you know really thinking about your employer brand what you're doing to to attract different types of people you know we we very rarely get applications through job boards through linkedin because these are candidates that have left we actually get most um of our returners through word of mouth or actually from local schools so we kind of pitch it as a mid-career initiative with um a local school if we're running a program in southampton we'll contact all the local schools and say can you put this in your newsletter 
you know, we're trying to attract parents and, and families of school children. So, you know, think about think about who you're attracting and, and where you're attracting those people as well. And, you know, not just um, putting a technical job spec on LinkedIn and expecting you to get a, a diverse um, application pool. Yeah, there's more to it than that, for sure. And um, the organisation itself, STEM Returners, what, what, what next in terms of its organisational makeup is... Uh, is the need for more hands to help you to get yeah, so, into the visit? How, how, yeah. how will that work? We've just recruited two new people because um, we've needed to, because, you know, this is very much an organic organisation yeah. um, that I made up and I'm continuing to make up in a way as, as I go along. So, you know, as more programmes come online, obviously we're looking to bring um, more people into, we know the returners are out there, um, yeah. you know, but we obviously need more staff to make sure that we can, deliver all of these programs um, that that we're um, that are coming in and we're getting so many um, organizations contact us to say you know actually DNI is a real problem and we're not getting applications for, for some of these roles so so the appetite in the industry is really really positive so yeah I think we're going to have to really um, really scale up what we're doing which is a really good problem to have um, but certainly a challenge you know for us over the next six to twelve months will be and scaling up enough so that we can continue delivering this on a, on a bigger scale. Yeah, I mean, the great thing is that we're having this conversation, you and I have this conversation now, but there's a conversation on a much wider scale taking place about diversity and about the need to raise um, the bar when it comes to our em employment of, of staff. And certainly you, you raised the specifics of engineering. Um, if this country is going to be successful, if we're going to mm -hmm. be able to produce things and um, create things, we need those skills in the workplace. And it's crazy to think there's a shortfall in skills when there's people looking for work. It's there's, just... shortfall, there's a massive shortfall in skills in engineering. And then there's a, this big graduate community that we've talked about that haven't been able to even start their career. And there's this big returner community. So um, it's really interesting. I think another key thing is moving that diversity conversation beyond women. You know, women are a yeah. big, a big part yeah. of it but you know I think things like the gender pay gap you know although they were great really put that focus oh we need to recruit more women you know and if a company ever says to me oh can you send me um female engineers it's like no no <laughs> that's that's not what we do we return people after a career break and they come in all shapes and sizes so you know diversity and and creating a diverse and inclusive culture is not about handpicking yeah. um the statistics that you need to make your business um ticking a box yeah absolutely yeah and that's that's really really important yeah very good point natalie this has been a wonderful conversation i've i'm sure we can carry on for about another hour but i'm sure your dog needs to be looked after one of the things that you need to get to but the time that you've afforded us today has been greatly appreciated um, no, I really fabulous, enjoyed it. Thank you. You're doing fabulous work. I know one of our other um, guests on the podcast, Dave Stephanie, will be fascinated to hear about what you're doing. We'll know about what you're doing, obviously, but um, I'm sure she's a huge supporter. Thank you again. Um, if you need to get hold of uh, Natalie, uh, stemreturners.com. Yeah, stemreturners.com. Great website. Um, and on LinkedIn, Natalie Desti will be, uh, will be, you'll be able to connect with her that way. Thank you very much, Natalie. We'll speak again Thanks, soon. David. Thank you. Find out more and join our growing business community by visiting hresource.co.uk.